Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911 on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Ruben Nava and Jesse Romero, a two man car. We're attending for Jesus. And uh, good morning, Jesse. Reporting for duty, sir. Ruben, I can't wait uh, to get started and uh, hear uh, Letty's story. That's yeah. going to be quite good. Hey, just, just I want to remind everybody that uh, at the tail end of November, November is still uh, it's time to remember your, your loved ones that have passed away. So remember to pray the daily rosary for all the holy souls that have passed away. And remember, they can pray for us as well. So uh, let's keep plugging away with those rosaries and... Uh, and uh, let's let's count the the number of days when we when we reunite together with our family members again. Amen. Well, I want to welcome to the to the show uh, one of our listeners, faithful listeners, Letty Rebus, and uh, connected with her on uh, on Facebook actually, and uh, she reached out to me, and uh, I, I was glad to hear her story, and I thought I think our listeners are going to be really. Uh, pleased and are going to be able to take something away from her story because uh, in a lot of ways it's you know uh, we go through similar similar things so without further ado Letty welcome to the show thank you so much I hope everyone can hear me well (laughs) oh yeah perfect that's right Letty so uh, you know I I just thought your your story was fascinating and why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and 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 um and then how you came to start listening to, to VMPR? Well, um, I've always been a Catholic. I'm a cradle Catholic. I grew up Catholic, uh, Novus Ordo, not a lot of formation, um, lots of lukewarmness, falling away from the faith. Um, <laughs> so it was it was tough for many years. And the way that I came to listen to um, Virgin Most Powerful was initially with Terry and Jesse's show. It was thanks to a friend that was a faithful listener. Her name is Patti, Patti Marroquin. I know Mm -hmm. she listens too, so she's probably listening. And she told me about it, and I thought, gosh, this is amazing. This is great. I love this. This is what I need. I was coming out of um, a very terrible falling away from my faith that really plummeted my faith, I mean, to the very floor. And I thought, gosh, you know, if, if I don't get out of this, you know, I... I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I need help, and I don't know where to look. And and this came, mm. <laughs> you guys came. <laughs> so Letty, how how, how old were you at the time? At that time, I was I was I it was it was back in 2017. So this was I I don't know it was like what like 20 28 maybe 28 okay. 29. Yes. All right. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Jesse, you have a question for her? Yeah, Letty, what was it about the show that uh, that kind of rattled your cage or rattled your soul? Was it just that the moral clarity, the moral and doctrinal clarity, maybe that you started hearing at VMPR? Oh, absolutely. The way it was bold and direct. I mean, I I wanted formation. I wanted to know what the faith was about and to be told with clarity, with nothing around, nothing, you know, watered down. Mm. And of course, none of these terms I've ever heard before. I mean, to me, it was like never coined in my mind. But, you know, after listening to him, I'm like, gosh, I, I've been missing out all my life. And the awareness that you gave me, the state 
of the church, it it didn't at all drive me away. It made me love the church more. It gave me zeal for it. It made me want to fight yes. for it and want to just be faithful. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, so apparently, Letty, you by, had... let me just mention, Letty, by the way, anytime I go to Southern California, I go to St. Vitus mm-hmm. Parish. Yeah, that That's where I'll go to uh, uh, Sunday Mass when, I, uh, when I'm out really? there visiting my family. So one of these I days, I'll... Brother. Yeah, I got a brother that uh, goes there all the time. Yeah, nice. I haven't seen you, Jesse, but I hope to see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when I'm in yeah. Southern California, that's uh, that's usually my the number one parish that I go to. But uh, yeah, go ahead and con- yeah, share with us. Uh, let the you know there, there's conversion is an, is something that happens interiorly. It's an awareness. Uh, the church describes it like in three steps: the purgative stage. Which is when, mm-hmm. when you realize, like, man, I'm a sinner, man. I need a savior. The second <laughs> stage is called the illuminative stage. When you start, you become hungry for God and you start reading and learning and listening and praying. And then the final stage that most of us won't get to in this lifetime is called the unitive stage, which you're so radically in love with Jesus in the church that all you want is him. Uh, you know, that's that's the, the moment that, like St. Paul says in the Bible in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And and and, uh, and and the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. That's called the unitive stage. So obviously, you had that aha moment where you said, man, I'm blowing it. I'm, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need to go come back to the church. Yeah. What was the catalyst for that? Gosh, I mean, I mean, I was just, I mean, living in, in a state of more mortal sin. That's just the truth of it. And I was, I was afraid. I became very sick. You know, I started experiencing all kinds of sicknesses. So this fear came into me. Um, and I mean, when you came along, I thought, okay, yeah, mass every day before before work, go to mass every day. And I was going to Santa Clarita. I didn't know about the Latin mass still. You know, but this was, okay, start praying, you know, start praying your rosary. How do you pray your rosary? You know, so I started learning these things that wow. I've forgotten about for so many years. So all of this was thanks to what you would say, what you would promote, these beautiful teachings, you know, from a layman, you know, that had this beautiful gift to, you know, not just you, but also Terry at the time that, you know, would promote all of this. So that was my my moment of yes i was i was i went through that purgative state and i was still going i mean i think we all are still you know at a certain point yeah, you know right. venial sin yeah but you know i i was being purged from you know lots of serious things that were putting my salvation at stake you know and i was i was in deep trouble <laughs> i don't yeah. know if that answers the question yeah most of us most of us are between we, the purgative, illuminative, go back to the purgative. That once we have that conversion, we're between the purgative, illuminative, purgative, illuminative. But the goal is to end up at the unitive stage before you die. And uh, you know, there's a lot of people that do do that. I just had a friend that just passed away. Good friend, Alvia Escobar, rest in peace. She's in the hospital bed, and her her kids are around her. She's you know my age in her late fifties, early sixties. She's uh, her kids are around her. And they're crying, mom, mom, mom. She, and, and she looks at them. And I mean, she's a serious Catholic, just like you and Ruben and myself. And she looked at them and said, don't feel sorry for me. 
She says, feel sorry for yourselves. I know where I'm going. You have to stay here. I mean, she received the anointing of the sick, confession, holy viaticum. Mm. People were praying the divine mercy. The rosary were on her bed as she's dying. She got the apostolic pardon. I mean, she was, and she, so she knew where she was going and she told her kids around them. She says, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves. (laughs) He goes, I know where I'm going. I feel sorry for you. Uh, yeah, good. That's like Christ yeah. when he was carrying the cross. And he's like, don't yes. wait for me, wait for your children. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Letsy, tell us about uh, one day on your way to work. Uh, you had uh, something kind of tragic that, that occurred. And uh, I think it's a powerful oh, story. Oh, I was going to church. Yeah. So um, this was uh, me, um, you know, coming back uh, to the faith. And I remember that by now I had learned to pray the Latin rosary. I knew that you would emphasize the power of Latin. So I had mm-hmm. done that and I was like, wow, you know, Latin is amazing. It's powerful. I was going to church, but obviously I still didn't know about the Latin mass. And I was going to a place called Quartz Hills, uh, Juniper Sierra. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a Saturday. I know I mentioned it was a Sunday, but no, I looked at the date and it was a Saturday. So Saturday morning and, um, here I was going on my merry way, and out of nowhere, this uh, car, I was going 60 miles an hour, which is actually the speed limit there. It runs kind of fast. A car goes uh, that was supposed to yield for me at a stop sign just went in front of me. I had no time to do absolutely nothing. I mean, it was like two seconds before I could even pass this car, and I T-boned the car practically at 60 miles an hour. Wow. And that was... <laughs> One of the, I think it was actually the worst thing that's ever happened to me because I, I really thought I was going to die. I literally felt like my life being ripped out of me. I, I can't describe that feeling. It's just you lose complete control and you have nothing. But right before that, the wonderful thing, and see the grace of God was that I had tuned into uh, Virgin Most Powerful. It's like something told me, what are you doing? Um, why are you tuning in? You know, you could be praying, you could be listening to a great talk, you know, and you're not doing anything. So I tuned in, Eddie Chavez came on and he did the St. Michael, the Archangel prayer. And I followed along and I did the prayer about a minute. All of this just came down. I had my car accident. So right before that, I know St. Michael was there watching over me. And he's the one that made sure that I was able to open my eyes again. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's a great story. Good job, Eddie Chavez. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this is uh, yeah. so this is what happened. And I, if you want me to tell you just a quick, I mean, tell me what you want to know. I mean, yeah, yeah. So h- how long were you in the uh, the hospital for, and what was the extent of your injuries? So uh, what happened is um, I never lost consciousness. I just remember closing my eyes, thinking that's it, I'm done. And then I opened my eyes, and the first things out of my mouth was, "Thank you, God, for." letting me live. And that was, again, grace of God. Um, you know, other people, you know, if you're living a life of just terrible sin, you probably would start seeing vulgarities. But the first thing was, thank you, Lord. So at least hmm. the Lord had granted me that, you know, that moment where he's like, no, you come to me, you know, yes. come to me, be in a state of grace. And um, I didn't feel any pain until about maybe 30 seconds after when the adrenaline was gone. Yeah. The worst terrible pain I've ever felt Screaming, mm. um, crying. I couldn't do anything. I thought I was going to go crazy. Oh. <laughs> hey. I hear the music. Uh, we're coming to heartbreak. Uh, stick, yeah. stick, yeah. Uh, stay with us, Letty. We want to hear more from you. We got uh, Letty here sharing about her uh, 
her journey towards Christ and the Catholic faith, the fullness of truth. We'll be back. Uh, Jesus 911. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. We are back. Two-man car with a special guest. We have a ride-along in our car. It's uh, Letty Rivas. She's a, a faithful listener to the show. And uh, she's been telling us about her her reversion story back to the Catholic faith and uh, it involved uh, being a, a listener to VMPR, Virgin Most Powerful, and the very shows that we have here. So, uh, Letty, uh, so far, yes. you're doing a great job. Just We're going to keep keep on going and just kind of... Uh, Ruben, let me let me right. probe some. Let me yes. let me ask Letty a question here that uh, I want to get kind of to the to the nitty gritty of this. Mm-hmm. Letty, all of us grew up, you know, you know in, in the sixties, post sixties. Obviously, you you're a lot younger, and so all of us grew up with the, with the Novus Ordo Mass. It's called the New Rite Mass uh, from Pope Paul the yeah. Sixth, and right. that's all we knew. That's basically all we knew. Mm-hmm. Um, little by little, you know, certain people, yourself, myself, Reuben, Reuben first, Reuben did a long time ago, started discovering mm-hmm. the ancient mass uh, called the Latin mass that was pre-1965. You're, you're, you're very young compared to Reuben and myself. So let me ask you a question. What is it about uh, you as a young person? What is it about the Latin mass that draws you with it, with this encounter to God to open your heart to God, to surrender yourself to God, to want to be holy. What is it that you found in the Latin Mass that you didn't find in the Novus Ordo Mass? Oh, wow. I mean, it's so many things in one, but I think one of the things that I've heard people say is the reverence, and that's definitely one of the things that I was looking for. So it's not just that, it's a lot, and I'll get into it uh, real quick and try to redact it as short as possible, but... I remember when I was attending the Novus Ordo, I would I would live in a lot of um, distraction. It was like an environment of distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was. I, I just remember thinking, why am I always anxious? Why am I always uh, worried? You know, during mass, um, I didn't have that peace. And I remember the reverences I would see. I I mean, it would just break my heart. And I remember saying, Lord, I'm not leaving the Catholic Church, but I don't want to come back here. You know, mm. and when I finally was able to to find the traditional Latin Mass, I didn't understand it the first time. It was a low Mass, and I thought, gosh, why is it so quiet in here? And why is the priest <laughs> turning that way? And what is he doing? And, you know, I didn't understand it. <laughs> but something that captured me was, look at the people. Look at how reverent and respectful they are. Everyone's directed towards the altar. No one's causing any irreverence or disrespect. Everyone's just so focused. And I thought, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. So that was just one. I mean, that was just initially the first thing. I'm like, I'm home. This is what I want. This is Mm. what I want to learn. I don't know it now, but I'm going to learn this. (laughs) So that's one of the first things that captured me. But apart from that, I mean, if you want to know how the traditional and mass has enhanced my faith, I mean, apart from that reverence and respect, it's it's just the solemnity. It's the way it's submerged me and all of these Catholic devotions and practices that I didn't hear about before, or if I if I heard about, I didn't know, I didn't practice. 
like for example, you know, uh, devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and Immaculate Heart of Mary for Saturdays, first Fridays and Saturdays to make reparation. I never used to do any of that before. And at St. Vitus, for example, on first Fridays, we have a vigil adoration. Uh, the Blessed Sacrament is exposed until midnight, and we have benediction after that. And it's absolutely beautiful, the silence. One of the things is also the silence. You know, yes. as I mentioned, why is it so quiet? That silence, which is bring me into contemplation, meditation. And I thought, wow, I never realized how important silence was. We don't need guitars. We don't need drums. We just need <laughs> that silence. It's <laughs> mm, beautiful. You know? I, I like what Saint, uh, Saint, uh, Bishop um, Fulton Sheen <laughs> says that nothing is more harmful to a man than his resistance to grace. So you uh, you were uh, open to our Lord's grace, uh, Letty, and uh, and and He just started filling your cup with uh, an overflow in your cup with with His grace and right. yeah uh, yeah. So I I too I I, I feel those sentiments uh, about the Latin Mass and and um, it's just it's something special. It's otherworldly, and it's uh, it, like you said the distractions at the uh, at the other place. It, it, it was got to be too much, you know, and uh, yeah, and it's it's very tough for me to go back uh, to it, and uh, and so uh, go let's let's go on let with your story. Let me just mention okay. one thing. Obviously, we're not saying here on Jesus nine one one or VMPR yeah. mm-hmm. that the Novus Ordo Mass is not a valid mass. No, no, it's no a way. valid mass. Right, right. All we're just talking about right. is our experience. Uh, you know what our soul experiences. Uh, when you go to the Latin Mass. And, and by the way, you said something very important. We live in a very noisy world. Uh, there's always, you know, yes. people are always plugged into something in their ears or iPods or, you know, iPhones or lap. Something's always going on. Music, music, or just sound noise. The Latin Mass, it takes you away from the world. And like what Ruben said, it just brings you into that, into that silent contemplation of God. And you said it well. And that's why in the Bible, in the Old Testament... That was that's the way the Jews worshipped God in the temple of Jerusalem. They were silent as the priest was performing uh, the sacrifices. It was holy silence in the temple of, of Jerusalem. So, as Catholics, the old mass is kind of recapturing that once again. Go go ahead, Letty. That's beautiful. Um, well, um, do you want me to just say uh, what else has like enhanced my faith in the Sure, Jewish sure, yeah. Is that what, oh, yes. Okay, well. Apart from that, it's just the devotions, you know, as I was talking about Sacred Heart, Immaculate Heart, I've been consecrated you know, to our Lord in the Sacred Heart, the Immaculate Virgin Mary, and recently also to St. Joseph, thanks God, thanks be to God, to Father Callaway's book. Um, so I also um, have, you know, for example, I was enrolled in Brown Scapular all my life, none of this. And since then, I also had a resolution to pray the entire rosary on a daily basis, something I didn't do before. Um, also, you know, there's, you know, the, the rosary of the seven sorrows. I didn't know about any of these before. So I'm just saying there's all of these devotions that I was submerged in that just truly took my faith to another level. And I feel like, gosh, I'm doing far more than I've ever done before. And yet I feel like my life is more simple now. Like I don't, I don't have all that noise that we were, we were saying. It's just yeah. simplicity. It's just it, there's superiority about it that I'm like, Lord, thank you. I love all this. And not just that, not just my faith has been, you know, deepened and transformed in all of these things, but it's just the way I dress too, the way I think. 
I didn't dress with modesty before. I, I really didn't understand what that was until I started seeing all the ladies, this beautiful culture that traditional Latin mass has. I started seeing all of that. And I started following in their example, and I realized it's not just because we look a certain way, it's, it's what it means. You know, you're, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You want to follow the example of the Virgin Mary and embracing true femininity, simplicity, purity, striving for whole, holiness and obedience to, to what God has His order um, in all things, like, you know, the family, the church, society, you know, all of these things, it's through the traditional Latin Mass, because in itself it's like a little world in there, like its own culture. I don't know if I'm explaining myself. No, no, you're right. It's, it is countercultural. Like Ruben said, it's otherworldly. And, and, and yeah. for at least an hour, you're able to just leave the noise of this world and the pollution of this world, and you're, and you're able to encounter God in, in a way that the Jews have been doing for thousands of years and Catholics were doing for 1,600 years before Vatican II as well. Yeah, Leti, what uh, what I what I hear heard you say was, you know, all these devotions that kind of in in most modern parishes they have fallen by the wayside. One parish might have devotion to the perpetual mother, perpetual help, or they one or two devotions. Mm-hmm. Very rarely do they have, uh, you know, like you said, the Friday first Friday devotions to the Sacred Heart and right. the first Saturday devotions to her Immaculate Heart and and, and uh, right. the scapular and and uh, you know, so I, I think you're you're it's, you're getting like a, a the the gourmet meal right there. You're not it's, you're not just going to just a little uh, you know smorgasbord. It's it, this is a, a mm-hmm. full on you know steak, potatoes, the whole enchilada. You know, and uh, I love that yes. that our faith <laughs> yeah. is so rich, so deep, and uh, you know, uh, and I I wish that uh, people could see what you see uh, with all these uh, these. Let the, let me, one of the things that you you, you see, and, and Ruben, we'll keep, we could keep her off for another segment if you want. It's up to you. Uh, the fact is that you've, you've understood now that the Latin is a, is a, is a Latin, the mother language of the church. It's a sacred language. Yeah. And the reason Hebrew, Greek, and Latin are the sacred languages of the church is because those three languages were affixed to the instrument of our salvation, which is the cross of Christ. That's where those languages get their power and sacredness from. But go ahead, make some uh, closing comments, uh, Leti. Well, um, I was just going to say that with all of these devotions, with, you know, just the transformation of, you know, our my faith, my heart, everything that I was, not just, you know, inside, but outside, you know, my, my exterior image, you know, dressing with modesty. I feel like I was no longer bringing the world into the church, but I was learning to bring... The church into the world because it, it was just the opposite you know you don't come in dressed with your pajamas you know you don't come in dressed like you are going to mm-hmm. i don't know you know the way you dress inside your house you you what what you are prepared for inside the mass is what you bring into the world you know it's it, so it was just this shift that i understood i'm like wow this is the way i should be all the time <laughs> mm-hmm. you know so i mean th- th- this is just i mean the gist of it and going a little bit back on the the car accident th- this was i guess like the the very beginning of of my my re- reversion as as you can say my my real reversion my last chance because i was still living in some lukewarmness it was terrible. I mean, everything that I went through, and I just knew that our Lord was saying, "I'm, I'm allowing this. This is to jolt you, to for you to change, for you to say no more to your past life, no more lukewarmness. I want you on fire, 
And I will answer your prayers in regards to not going back, you know, to what was, was afflicting you. It will come eventually. So I never really end up, ended up going back. Everything was just like my life started again. That's all I can say from that car accident. And Praise I was God. there in the hospital for, for 14 days. I told uh, Ruben during our talk that my intestines had ruptured. I was, I was bleeding internally. I had a wound vac in my stomach for five months literally wow. an open wound just closing slowly i mm. came home in a wheelchair i had to you know kind of like learn to reuse my body because it was just so shocked by that car accident and what that taught me too was you know my misery you know be humble god gave you another opportunity you know do you really want to let this go so it helped me to detach from all the old and i wanted that new start and that's that was like the very the key of it all <laughs> Mm-hmm. Letty, did you you mentioned to me about your devotion to Saint Raphael? Can you want to tell us about that real quick? Oh yes, I almost forgot. Thank you so much. So it was funny right before this car accident, just days before the week prior, I had read the entire book of Tobit. This was the second time I've read it, but I had this hunger to read it. Something was just you know telling me read the book, read the book, and I finally said I have to do this. And now, and I was. I mean, I felt this beautiful fire in my heart to start praying to St. Raphael. And the funny mm. part was that the surgeon who operated on me was named hey. just that. His name was, yeah. Let's yes. thank you so much for coming. Yeah. We're going to have to have you on again. That was uh, <laughs> just a, a, a great story that you shared with us. Thank you so much. We're going to move on to another topic, but that was Leti Rivas on Jesus 911. God bless you both. God bless you. you. Keep God up the good work. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. We are back, two-man car, Jesus 911. Where iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Uh, just uh, a great interview with uh, Letty Rivas. Uh, thank you again, Letty, for coming on. Because uh, that's uh, your story is going to have, um, it, it's going to reverberate with, with a lot of our listeners, I am sure. So Jesse, let's uh, let's tell uh, tell us what we're going to be getting into now. Yeah, yeah. stories like Letty Ruben, mm-hmm. it just shows you God is at work uh, yesterday, today, and forever. God is still converting people, taking them from a life of mortal sin, bringing them into a state of sanctifying grace. Let these exhibit a. This is happening all the time, and it happens because. People need to hear truth. And when people hear truth, like Letty heard truth, probably through VMPR and other sources, uh, that's the effect of, of the soul encountering truth. You you hear a story like Letty's. We want to yeah. talk about America right now. We're facing the curse of seesaw elections, Ruben. I don't know when this is going to stop. And what I mean by that is that, <clears throat> you know, uh, one election, the Democrats win. Okay. Next election, the Republicans win. Next election, the Democrats win. And and then both sides, they'll take off their executive order pens and they'll just undo what the other side did for four years. Mm-hmm. Great article by Dr. John Horvat called Seesaw Elections. Uh, I, I like the second paragraph where he says, Seesaw elections are now a ritual cycle of Democrat-Republican alternating rule. Each party portrays the other as as uh, uh, portrays the other as bringing the nation to the brink of destruction, and then convinces its voters to throw off the other to throw the other out. As polarization increases, the up and down distances between the parties also grows with little common ground. The seesaw shows no sign of stopping, 
with each electoral swing, the country sinks deeper into crisis. The resulting stalemate assures that nothing constructive can be done. I think that's a good description of the time that we live in right now. Yeah. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why it's irre- in my book, Ruben, why I think it's irreparable. It's because we have separation of church and state. As long as we have separation of church and state, I think we're going to have seesaw elections until we drop dead, until the Lord comes back. Yeah, Jesse, and and it says nothing ever gets done. Well, nothing ever gets done, especially bringing to justice the corrupt Demo- Democratic Party. You know, um, we, we, a lot of us, we get so sick and tired of hearing, uh, you know, these conservatives saying, oh, we got this dirt on them. This, well, show me, you know, yeah. do something with it, you know, convict somebody. And, and uh, nothing ever happens. It's, it's crazy. Uh, so we just know that we can't put our trust and, and our hopes in, in human or in, in this world that are ultimately our, our, our uh, faith and our hope is in, in Christ, in Amen. Christ alone, right? Amen. So, yeah, so let's talk about the, the cause of the seesaw. Uh, John Horvath says that some might see the cause of the seesaw election as a clash of worldviews. However, that is not quite correct. It might be better characterized as a clash within a worldview that is tearing tearing America apart. And the present crisis involves a fail, failing worldview, liberalism. The two sides represent the internal contradictions within liberalism that naturally lead to con- conflict when taken to their logical conclusions. The two sides share the same premises but fight over their application. In typical postmodern fashion, the crisis is not only between two sides but also involves internal conflicts within individuals sympathetic to both positions of the contradictions. And this factor makes elections especially volatile. Yeah. And so, you know, you can say that the rhinos, the Republicans in name only, they're, they're in bed with the Democrats. And yeah. 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 You know, so they're both without, to blame. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. They, and that's called the uniparty, the rhino Republicans and the Democrat Party, that's called a uniparty. And that, that makes up the majority of people that are in Congress when, yeah. you, when, you, when we're talking about the uniparty. Um, the original liberal ideal now in crisis holds that government exists to ensure people can have the maximum freedom to pursue their personal happiness without interfering with another's dream. However, liberalism also contains practical tools of order that restrict maximize freedom. Throughout the nation's history, there's always been a certain tension between this freedom and order inside liberalism. The key to overcoming this tension was a great universal consensus, a kind of spiritual glue that held the country together. One where everyone agreed to get along, it allowed a minimum amount of rules and restraints to maintain order. However, it was also a flexible and deliberately vague consensus that tended to sweep aside any robust attachments to religious ideological or universal traditions that might prove divisive or stand in the way of each of each one's constant and ever elusive search for perfect happiness. The idea was that everyone meets on morally neutral grounds to avoid collisions. Political discourse should only concentrate on maximizing freedom and achieving personal happiness, not affirming lofty principles or enforcing cumbersome morals. This system of living without objective principles has the inconvenience of creating a sterile secular life that frustrates modern men since it officially neglects all things spiritual. That's a good sentence. 
It officially neglects all things spiritual. It leads to a materialistic and individualistic society that favors moral decadence and mediocrity. That was a good two lines from Horvat there. Yeah. Yeah, and we weren't made for mediocrity. We weren't. God made us for greatness, and um, yeah. we settle for mediocrity. And um, so he goes on to say that the American consensus fell apart in the 60s in its place. There developed two conflicting visions of the same liberal idea. One side favored maximum freedom. The other preferred a maintaining a semblance of order. Thus, the liberal left claimed that Christian morality restricted its quest for unbridled freedom and prevented its happiness. Conservatives argued that moral chaos and anarchy disturbed the happiness found in ordered liberty. And this clash gave rise to the brutal culture war that still rages. Each rightly claimed to defend the liberal ideal. Each also claimed the other was betraying the liberal ideal, even though both operated within it. In such a climate, individuals constantly vacillate between supporting an anarchical freedom and accepting the restraints of ordered liberty. This polarized America delivers seesaw elections. And so when you look at, um, you know, uh, when gay marriage was uh, allowed, you know, uh, same-sex marriage, I should say, um, it, it, it took Republicans voting with Democrats to, to make that pass. So they're, they're, uh, they're just as guilty. And, and look at the, just look at the COVID lockdowns and the masks pushed by almost all the politicians, both left and right. You know, they, they, they weren't concerned about our, our freedoms. It was only a few, a few um, hardcore lib- uh, conservatives that were speaking out on our behalf, but go ahead, Jess. Yeah. Ruben Thomas Jefferson once said, quote, an educated citizenry is a vital requisite for our survival as a pre as a free people. Yeah. An educated citizenry is a vital requisite for the survival as a free people. The way I see it, Ruben, uh, half the country, uh, half the electorate are like zombies. And what I mean by that, they they vote with uh, they vote without having a moral conscience, and they have no heart. Yeah. This this describes a zombie. A zombie is a dead person that has no moral conscience. They just, they're walking around slow trying to kill people, and they have no heart. Half the country, this is what we have. Horvath calls the present, the present phase of the debate has taken on more dramatic turn as the contradictions barrel towards self-destruction. The liberal left has taken its desire to maximize freedom to unimaginable depths of depravity. It is no longer satisfied with destroying Christian morality, but reserves for itself the right to alter reality. Yeah, I'm a, uh, you know, what is a woman? Mm-hmm. Striving for its utopia, the left is trampling underfoot the liberal principles of democracy, rule of law, and numerous natural freedoms to obtain its goals. Thus, the abortion and transsexual revolution claim the right to change biology. Critical race theory rewrites history. Drag queen story hours claim the, the right to shatter childhood innocence. Mm-hmm. Cancel culture silences the opposition. Mainstream Satanism proclaims the right to deny the reality of God's sovereignty over humanity and creation. Up to this point, the debate has been a struggle inside liberalism. However, in the face of such extremism, some conservatives can no longer carry the liberal standard used to cancel and destroy them. The left labels any attempt to affirm order as authoritarian and undemocratic. Yeah, oh boy, I can't stand that term when they say uh, it's, a, it's a threat to democracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, the th- they're the threat to democracy, you know? <laughs> they're the ones who are trying to change things. Exactly. Uh, looking outside liberalism, um, in this fight, the deck is stacked against conservatives who are forced to use the same flawed premises as the left. 
The only way to survive is to look outside liberalism. It involves rejecting the moral neutral premises of liberalism and to, to turn to norms of morality, objective truth, and natural laws found in the Christian civilization. Above all, Americans must reject sterile secularism and have a recourse to God to find the strength to face the crisis ahead with resolve and confidence. And by the way, it was Pope, it was Pope uh, St. Pius X who said that liberalism is a sin. So um, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, the church has spoken on that issue already. So if the nation is to survive, seesaw elections must change from a confused internal struggle within liberalism to a clearer fight between two separate ideals, one liberal and the other Christian, one destructive and the other regenerative. The debate must change to reflect virtue and reality, not relativism and fantasy. If not, America will face its curse of yet more seesaw elections and the tragic spectator a of final ruin. Specter, that means ghost, the tragic specter. Yeah, tragic specter, final yeah. ruin, yeah. Ruben, this, so, uh, I'll tell you, that, again, this is the reason this is happening is uh, Pope St. Pius X, uh, he, he talks about the danger of separating the church from the state. Uh, in fact, here's what he said. Uh, this, this, the state must be separated from the church. This is a thesis Pope St. Pius X called absolutely false and most a most dangerous error. So this whole separation of church and state, this is a Freemason teaching to the founding fathers. This was taught by Freemasons to the founding fathers. They adopted it because a lot of the founding fathers were Freemasons. They were Protestant Christians and Freemasons as well. Well, this has never been the Catholic view of a, of a country. Uh, Pope St. Pius X calls this in his document called Vehementor, uh, paragraph three, he says this is uh, the separation of church and state is absolutely a false proposition and a dangerous error. And we're living it right now. Aristotle mm. says, what happens when ignorance pervades the electorate? This is what happens. Republics dec- decline into democracies and democracies degenerate into despotisms. Jesus right. one two-man car. We're going to talk next about... Do you have a tendency to catastrophize events in life? Here's how to overcome it. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. We're changing topics, and we're going to be talking about how an article by Jim Schroeder who says that uh, have a tendency to catastrophize, catastrophize like a catastrophe. Here's how to overcome it. So he's going to tell us uh, how to overcome it. Um, Ruben, perfect article for such a time as this, because a lot of people, again, you know, have the chicken little syndrome. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. I got to buy a bunker. I got to buy a lot of toilet paper. And, uh, you know, I've got to buy, you know, all the ammunition at my nearest gun store. There's a lot of people right now that that uh, act like that and behave that way. So we want to put things in perspective. Yeah. So if you tend to only see the worst possible outcome in a situation, here are three things that can help. Years ago, this, the article, uh, the author says, I was finishing my final year of training for my doctorate in clinical psychology. A few months into my ment- internship, I started to have spells of dizziness, chest tightness, and headaches. Although I initially attributed it to stress, I gradually become 
convinced that something of a cardiac or neurological nature was at play. So even after multiple tests came back negative, I struggled to let go of the thought that my physical symptoms weren't due to a life-threatening physical condition. Only after months and even years did I come to accept that what I had experienced was partly related to issues of lifestyle, limited exercise, poor diet, stress management. Also, most especially my catastrophizing. As a psychologist in training, it was humbling to realize just how much believing the worst could really impact me. And decades later, like many others, I still feel the pull of this worst kind of worry. There are times where a small twinge or discomfort immediately leads to worries of something going really wrong. Other times, it is a minor social or, or emotional circumstance that leads me to ultimate ruin. And Jess, you could you could uh, relate to that. You know, you've you've had your ups and downs with your with health issues. And- oh yeah, this summer was a summer of uh, pain. The summer not a, the summer of shame, the summer of pain. <laughs> <laughs> The summer yep. of offering it up, uh, but I, I'm yeah. at the tail end. I'm I'm feeling about 85, 90% uh, restored back to my health. But the article says in 1995, a seminal study was published in the journal Spine, S-P-I-N-E, that showed the power of psychosocial variables on people disabled by back pain. One psychological factor, the degree of catastrophizing, was almost seven times more predictive than any clinical or historical variable in predicting disability. Catastrophizing is a type of cognitive distortion or irrational pattern of thinking. We all engage in cognitive distortions at times. But the more that they occur, the more we're at risk for many negative physical and psychological outcomes. When we catastrophize, we tend to only see the worst possible outcome in a situation. In the case of acute back pain, a person might catastrophize around the intensity, frequency, and or duration of the pain. For example... They might come to believe that it will never improve, resulting in long-term discomfort and an inability to return to normal activity or even disable them altogether. We are finally coming to realize just how powerful our minds are when it comes to not just our physical experiences, but our entire existence. Many experiences of pain and discomfort do have a physical cause, but very often When we believe that something must be wrong, it is our perspective and attitudes that are the most responsible for our discomfort. As time, curiosity, and experience are often the best teachers, I have learned there are a few few keys critical in reducing the likelihood and impact of catastrophizing. Right. Uh, And when he mentioned earlier in that couple of paragraphs up, the cognitive distortion, you, that's where you hear people say, I never catch a break. Everyone's always out to get me. If this is going to be horrible, you know. So if you ever have thoughts like these that pop into your head, you're probably guilty of cognitive distortion. And uh, I've worked with guys who were always, why, why, you know, like he was, always, the guy's always uh, claiming that they're out to get him, you know. The, the brass are out to get him, you know. And he never thinks for once that he had something to do with it. You know, his <laughs> actions were... The reason why they were they're you know coming after him um first what we consume matters and, and it's imperative that we understand that the, the more media technology and conversations we consume of the worst kind i.e all the bad things going on and opinions about them the more likely we are to catastrophize if you surround yourself with drama horror heartache you're priming yourself to believe that a catastrophe is always around the corner and that's what happens when you get so locked into social media. You're reading these articles all the time, and and, and you just feel like uh, 
man, there's there's no end to this. It's never going to get better. Um, yeah. So, and the yeah, second, right, Ruben. we have yeah. to learn. To, we have to learn to disconnect. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, Ruben. So when we may have a when we may have a gut feeling that evokes a sense of catastrophizing, our internal response back is always controllable. It might sound something like, "Well, it is possible that I have a horrible disease, but until I have further information, it's not going to help me to overthink it." Another example might be, "Don't forget, I have had this worry many times and has not come true." Yeah, most things you people worry about aren't going to happen. So, you know, don't use up all your energy worrying about it. The key here is that your internal voice must be realistic and positive in combating the feelings and thoughts that might be be neither. So it's also just the power of the spoken word. You yes. can speak your attitude into existence. If you feed yourself negativity all day long, you're going to feel horrible. That's simple as that. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you positively, positivity, you get in front of, you know, uh, people of, of like mind, you know, you, you surround yourself with that. Good things are going to happen. You're going to feel better about yourself and you're going to have a, positive out view, uh, outlook on the world. Absolutely. Go, go. Yeah. Attitude is everything. Basically, Ruben, that's what you're saying. I, yeah. I, I remembered years ago, I heard, uh, this guy named Chuck Swindoll. He said this, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, the education, the money, than, than circumstances, than failure, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. 100%. Finish up the article. Yeah, finish up the article. So- so finally, keep things in perspective, uh, the author says, when all else fails, remind yourself that if you're catastrophizing, it means you are conscious and alive enough to be worrying this way in the first place. Dead people don't have the opportunity to worry, which means that the opportunity to live and even live well is still possible for all of us. Well, this might sound trite or Pollyannish to some, I can say from personal experience that this perspective, along with a prayer to the one who gave me life, in the first place has been a godsend of a real kind. So the same thing, he's saying faith over fear, you know, put your, don't, don't be worrying about this stuff. Trust in, in God, trust in, in our, our Lord and savior. And, uh, you can help overcome these things. Ruben, um, here's the, here's the way St. Teresa of Avila said it. She said what you said. She said this quote, let nothing disturb you. Let yes. nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. St. Teresa of Avila. Amen. Yeah, finish up the article. Yeah, final uh, paragraph says, Every now and then our catastrophizing is a timely alert to mobilize immediately. But almost always it is a reminder to pay attention, use the internal voice that God gave us, and to give thanks for what we have and can worry about at all. So it's having an attitude, uh, attitude of gratitude, and uh, being being able to to see the good in people and to see the good in life, to, to to enjoy nature, to go look out and say, man, boy, this it's a beautiful day. We have the you know, 
we have the, the, the trees, the leaves are falling off here and, and, you know, all the good things that we have and, and especially our faith, all the, uh, all the devotions and, uh, and all the, the sacraments that we have to uh, avail ourselves with. Think of the, the bright side, look on the bright side of things. Absolutely. And, and it was very important what you said about that internal voice. You, you, we have to give, we have to speak to ourselves so that we can override our, our, all that negative past programming, you know, all the stuff that we've taken in all that data. Mm-hmm. And the way you erase it is by prayer. You got to replace that negative data with, by speaking positive to yourself, that positive yeah. internal voice that helps you face new challenges, new directions, that internal voice just throughout the day, have that internal conversation with yourself. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That little voice you listen to all day long, it acts like a, like a seed in that it programs your brain and it, it affects your behavior. So take a look at what you're listening to and also remember what you're saying to yourself. Build yourself up, as the Bible says, encourage one another. And that means encourage yourself as well. Mm. yeah it's it, like successful people success books they talk about these things uh as, as affirmations so you you talk to yourself and you could be saying walking around like uh saying hey i'm a child of god you know i'm beloved of of, of my father i mm. and i the blessed mother is is my protector you know yeah and you just you just keep enforcing these things and, and affirmations you know I could do all things in Christ who strengthens mm. me, uh, and you—it's going to have an effect on the way you, you your outlook on life. Absolutely. You know, just like just just like if you were like a you know uh, a businessman, and you would be saying, "Hey, you know, everybody wants to talk to me. I, I'm I'm a winner. I, I you know people people love to be around me. You know, I, I lead a team of people. You know, things like that. So, same thing with your faith. Absolutely, yeah. Ruben. You know, there's a prayer, uh, it's in in the end of the Divine Mercy, it kind of talks about, it says, Eternal God, in whom mercy is endless and the treasure of compassion inexhaustible, look kindly upon us and increase your mercy in us, that in difficult moments we might not despair nor become despondent, but with great confidence submit ourselves to your holy will, which is love and mercy itself. And then you end by saying, Jesus, I trust, trust in, in you. you. That's a that's a good uh, prayer to have uh, at three o'clock every single day. Again, just to give yourself a little, a little shoot them up and, you know, a little spiritual steroid. That's right. Yeah, well, we're coming to, uh, well, we just had uh, the first Sunday of Advent. So, you know, this is the upcoming month. This is where we... We prepare, prepare a way for the Lord, the coming of our Lord. You know what, uh, you know, uh, John the Baptist said. Amen. And uh, so, we should be doing some, you know, some penance uh, during this time. A lot of people think that Lent is just the only time we do penance, but this is a penitential season. Correct. And, yes. Right. So let's do that, and let's get out there, and let's be on fire for Jesus, and uh, you know, influence the world, like Letty says. Don't, don't let That's the world right. influence you. Be holy or die trying up next. The big guy, Gary Machuda. As for us, we're EOW, end of watch. But uh, we're always on duty for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the Blessed Virgin Mary. Always. See you next time. See ya. Go USA! (laughs) 